Welcome to the Star Singer Podcast. I'm Tiffany, and I'm here to help you to transform your singing into standing ovation-worthy performances and auditions. You can be cast in your dream role, and you can give amazing performances and feel confident about how you sound. So let's do this. Hello, before we get started, I'm so excited to invite you to my free class called Get Cast Fast, Four Steps to Earning Your Dream Music Theater Role. We're going to go through the three biggest mistakes that singers and performing auditioners make, and we're going to go through the dream role framework so that you can finally earn that dream role that you deserve. I'm so excited to invite you, and you can go to starsinger.co slash p slash register to register and I'll leave that link in the description or you can DM me on Instagram at starsingerco. Now that you've registered, let's start this episode. All right, I'm so excited to be here with Lindsay Kuyava and she is the artistic director of ReTheater, an online theater and education company and host of the new podcast, Flipping the Script. Yeah, hi, thanks for having me. Yeah, you're so welcome. So tell us a little bit about your journey and what you do to help actors and actors who sing. Yeah, totally. So, um, I mean, growing up as a theater kid, I don't think I won't like bore you with all those details, but like I grew up as a theater kid, went to the University of Wisconsin Green Bay and graduated from there in 2012 with a degree in theater education and performance. Um, and so I actually taught really close to where you, I taught at the Renaissance School for the Arts. Um, before I moved out to Seattle, so which is near you. Um, you are so close to me. That's yeah, crazy. that's so crazy. Um, so yeah, I taught there. Um, and then I also in college founded an organization called Introspect Arts, which was a theater company for young people, um, all under the age of 25, where they created, um, produced, directed, designed original work, all with the aim of creating social change. Um, and that was an amazing, crazy journey that I had for seven years, um, partially while I lived in Wisconsin. And then also after I moved to Seattle, which is a wild and wacky thing to do, um, running a theater company across the country. Um, and so what I learned through that experience, though, is how important it is to empower student voice. Um, I also learned a lot of other things, which has led me to why I created ReTheater, but that's not necessarily what we're talking about today. So I wouldn't go into all that. Um, but, really, but what it really... With, um, with introspect, um, it was in Wausau, Wisconsin, so super small town, middle of nowhere, kind of, right? Well, I mean, it's not that small in Wisconsin standards, but the rest of the world is fairly small. <laughs> um, and so um, I saw how impactful it was for young people um, to have access to arts education that was more than just the community theater, um, that really helped them learn and access material and access it in a way that went beyond just an emotional reaction and actually into an analytical standpoint where they could be making decisions and analyzing human behavior, um, which sounds really nerdy and my students, I think sometimes when I say that, roll their eyes. Um, um, but I think it's really important. I think theater is the only place that we get to practice real life skills of relationships. Um, and so I saw that impact and I was like, well, why can't we have that all over the place, even if you don't have a person in your community that's doing that? So I started ReTheater with a goal of helping 
um, to increase access to arts education and inspire young people to create art that matters. So, yeah. <laughs> That's so awesome. <laughs> yeah, thanks. It's, yeah, it's a lot and it could go into a lot of different topics. I know. Sorry, I didn't mean to like babble too long, but that's kind of the journey that it took to get here. <laughs> yeah, definitely. And yeah. so today you're talking to us about monologues? Heck yeah, which is like one of my favorite things to talk about because um, I'm also a dramaturg and so I love the infusion of theater education and dramaturgy and where it meets acting and so monologue work is like my favorite. Well, I'm so excited because... It's not mine. Okay. <laughs> because I'm not good at it. But it's so hard. I feel like, um, I mean, I'm not saying I'm like an expert at it either. I just love the, like, the technique of accessing the monologue. It is like, I mean, auditions are so freaking terrifying. And monologue, I feel like with a song, like if you're a good singer, like you can really like hanker down and be like, check out my pipes, yo. Yeah. But acting, it's so vulnerable. Like, you've got no music. You've got, you're just there by yourself. <laughs> I'm just like, I hope my singing can carry me through. I'm just right. this, this monologue. So it'll be so <laughs> exciting for Hugh to give these singers some tips. So yes. that it can be at least, at least double threats. Because then there's dancing. Oh my gosh. Well, and like dancing is <laughs> a whole nother like giant <laughs> hurdle to overcome. So yeah. So the way that I, um, I have six tips of how to access a monologue. And these actually, I think, can be applied to songs as well. I'm not a musician, so um, I'm not going to speak to that. But when I teach song analysis and in, um, in like when I'm directing or that sort of thing, I also apply this. So there's six ways that you can look into a monologue. And um, if you follow through these six points, this is going to help you actually be able to grasp the monologue rather than feeling like you're just saying words. Um, and being like, I'm going to say that line angrily or this line happily because that's not how humans work. Um, we have to, so this will help us like access that human psychology that oftentimes is missing um, from your monologue. And as a bonus, if you are doing cold reading, so I know um, um, depending on like where you're doing your auditioning, sometimes you have to do the monologue and song. Sometimes it's just cold readings from the script, which is like horrifying and so terrifying. Um, this can also be applied to that. So, okay. So the six ways. So the first thing to think about is what are the given circumstances of the scene? So like, meaning what do we absolutely know in this moment? So, and this is not going to be a long list, honestly, like the given circumstances for an entire show that you're playing a character in is probably going to be about five things. Like these are the things that absolutely cannot change. So it's usually going to be like where you are, even that sometimes can change. That's a terrible example. But um, like where you are is a good thing to understand. Like if you, does your character have like a specific conflict that they're working through? Um, like if we were going to use, uh, like let's use Reno Sweeney from Anything Goes as an example for this. Um, if you were being Reno Sweeney, like you can't change the fact that you're an evangelical night singer or nightclub singer. Like it's impossible. Like the entire show would fall apart. Now, can you like, change the color of your hair? Yeah, for sure. Can you change like if you're super, super sassy or if you're more clever? Totally. But so the given circumstance of Reno Sweeney would be that she is a nightclub singer. There's no, there's no way to change that. Um, and she's an evangelical. Also important. Cool. So that's the first thing. Just like make the list. It's gonna be like two, to, maybe like one to four things. 
So of given circumstances. And then the next thing you want to do is identify who you are talking to. So this is really important because if we don't have some, an imaginary person we're talking to, it's so awkward to do your scene because then you're just saying it out into the abyss. Um, I know some people don't prescribe to this idea because they think monologues can be internal um, and you're talking to yourself. Um, that is a totally great valid like thought school of thought. I think that making an imaginary person helps you create actionable like work within your monologue as opposed to just like an emotion-based response. Um, because when we talk to ourselves, we're often very like introspective and pity party or, you know, like we aren't like actually doing anything. <laughs> Um, so pick who you're talking to, make it up if it's not in the script. If it's in the script, if you're taking a monologue from a published work that you have, uh, you're, it's in the middle of a scene where you're talking to somebody, that's the person. If you're doing um, something that's not written, like from one of those monologue books, pick somebody. Like, it's my best friend or it's my teacher. Um, so that you have that. And why are you talking to them? Like, don't just like arbitrarily be like, I'm talking to my sister and I'm talking to her about nothing that you would talk to your sister about. So, yeah. What if you are talking to yourself? Yeah, so if you are talking to yourself, I, okay, so this is like a weird look into like my neurosy of how I act by myself. Um, when I am by, when, I, when I'm by myself, or when you drink model that you're talking to yourself, I encourage you to think of who in your mind are you like, thinking about saying this to like it's like you're almost like rehearsing like like what would I say to this person if I could if that makes sense or like who if you, if you could pick anybody that you would be saying this to who would you be saying it to um and that you like be practicing in your bedroom and being like yeah mom I'm not gonna pick my clothes up because I don't want to but I would never say that to my mom because then I would be rerouted you know what I mean so that's what I would always recommend cool yeah yeah it just it helps you get out of the um i say all the time that we um acting is action based emoting is emotion based and as humans everything we do is driven by action um so like we don't wake up in the morning and say today i'm going to sad because <laughs> it doesn't make any sense we'll pick actions that might lead us to look as though we are sad um but we aren't going to an emotion during the day. So yeah, that's how talking to people can help us. And then the next thing we want to figure out that then helps like take us to the next level of creating the action is what do we want from them? This is step three. Um, that's step three. Yeah. Okay. So step one is given circumstances. Step two is who are you talking to? And step three is what do you want from them? And this is a tricky thing. And this is something that for, um, especially if you're like a younger actor who, or more of like a novice that's like getting into all this, that is like the biggest thing I, I, I impress upon my students is that when you are on stage, there is no reason for you to be there unless you want something from somebody else. As humans, everything we do is manipulative. It makes us sound like bad people, but we're not. That's just how human nature works. Like we want something from somebody else. And so we always have that in mind in our subconscious. So as an actor, when we're working on a monologue, 
why are we saying these words? If you don't have a purpose behind why you're saying these words and with the, the given outcome that you're hoping for, then they're just words. So figure out what you want from that person. And the way that I always phrase that is I want to blank. So I want to um, verb a person so that they will what I want them to do or change. Um, I think that's a really easy way to look at an objective and what you want. Um, I'm a big fan of verbs. Um, and that'll kind of help you create that action. So what do you want from this person is the third step. So can you give us a specific example of filling yeah. in the blanks? Absolutely. So if, okay, we can just use Rena Sweeney again um, because we already used her before. So let me think. Okay, so in, sorry about that long pause. Okay, so there's a scene where she's first um, meeting um, the character, Sir Evelyn, and she's trying, she knows that she needs to kind of, um, draw his attention away from Hope so that Billy can um, fall in love with Hope and like steal her away. So in that first scene when they first meet, the example of um, a, an objective would be, I want to enchant Sir Evelyn so that he will be enamored by me and, and be totally like focused on me. That's like, does that kind of make sense? Yeah, definitely. Sweet. So is it? is it so that is the so that necessarily an action or it can be an emotion as well yeah that's a really great question so that's so that so that they will um it's almost it's going to always be an action but it can have the emotion attached to it so i would not be um i mean you could do like i and you could like be like i want to um reprimand so-and-so so that they will cry but why do you want them to cry like i would encourage you to think like deeper i want them to be sad well why do you want them to like feel humiliated do you want them to feel belittled does that make sense yeah cool yeah this is so fun oh good yeah it's i'm gonna make, it. it's gonna make monologues like more enjoyable instead of i don't Horrifying. know for me it's like oh my god just get through this right yeah i mean it's kind of like a scavenger hunt um, and like a puzzle. So, and the other thing to think about and remember too, as you're going through monologues is there's really no wrong answer than to not have an answer. Like as long, even if you're like, I don't really understand this. I'm kind of confused. That's okay. Um, just give it your best shot and give an answer for all of these. And you'll, it'll be so much easier for you to access than if you didn't do any of it. Awesome. Cool. Okay. So the fourth thing. So we, so far we've got given circumstances, who are we talking to? What do we want from them? And then once we figure out what we want from them, then we have to figure out what is standing in the way of us getting that. So it might be like, um, if we use that Reno Sweeney again, so like what's standing in the way of it is like literal people are obstacles. Like I have <laughs> to like navigate all of these different, Mrs. Har Harcourt and all these people. It could be, um, it could be an emotional thing. Like, well, he's already engaged to this other woman. That's an obstacle. Um, it could be, uh, it, yeah, it, the list can go on. It depends on the specific scene, but figure out what that obstacle is. There's always going to be something there. So you recommend picking just one. Yeah. See, and I would say, you know, with monologues, I would pick one 
just because in a scene, your obstacles can totally change. Um, and a monologue, since they're pretty short, you don't want to have to like do so much mind flipping of like, oh wait, and now, because when an obstacle changes, technically our objective slightly changes as well. Then we don't need to be writing multiple objectives in a monologue if we can avoid it. <laughs> um, so yeah, so I would say pick one obstacle that works for you. And again, if it's, if it is from like a monologue book, the obstacle will be pretty obvious. Like there's one I'm thinking of right now where this boy wants to join the swim team, but he doesn't want to, but his teacher is like forcing him to. I mean, the obstacle there is that his grade depends on getting the, the, this, uh, I'm joining the swim team. So like it's, they're fairly obvious and just pick something. Cool. Yeah. Okay. So once you have the obstacle, then um, you're going to want to figure out how you are going to get what you want. So I like to think of the objective. So what do you want from the person as a trophy? And the obstacle is like a giant boulder blocking you from that trophy. Just <laughs> a very silly analogy. But then we use tactics to get to break through the boulder to get to that trophy. So the tactics are the tools that we use to get through the obstacle. So those can be things, those are always gonna be verbs. So it can be things like interrogate, um, confide, confess, comfort, uh, praise, um, worship. I'm trying to think, now I can't obviously think of verbs because I was put on the spot. Um, I put myself on the spot. So it's always gonna be verbs that you can use. And so one way to always think about verbs when I first teach it is to think of, okay, if you want to go to the movies with your friends, but your parent says you can't, what are the different ways that you can try to get them to say yes? <laughs> like, I could bargain, right? I could beg. That's not going to usually get you very far if you're like, please, 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 right? You could annoy them. You could, I mean, sometimes my students will be like, blackmail them or threaten them. I mean, that's an intense thing, but as actors, sometimes in scenes, we have to use those extreme verbs as well. So I would say usually in a monologue, you're going to have between four and 10 tactics. If you want to get really specific, you can put a tactic next to each sentence if you want. But I think if you kind of group, um, if you look at your monologue and you're like, okay, these two sentences have like the same point behind them, that's this, this is going to be like me confessing to this person. Okay, these two or three have this point. I'll, you can group them together however you want. All right, so singular objective, multiple tactics. Yes, singular okay. objective, singular ob obstacle, multiple uh, tactics. Um, <laughs> tactics are very fun. Um, so yeah, and then the last thing um, is the stakes. Um, and the stakes are what I like to call our character starting to spiral. So if you think of like, okay, so if you are doing a, scene, a monologue where you're trying to ask someone out to a school dance and you wanna think in your head, what is at stake if they say no? You always, the worst thing that can always happen to a human is we can die, um, which is extreme. Now, some monologues, that is the, that is what's at stake, life or death. Most of the time, not. So we can climb down the ladder a little bit of stakes and say, okay, what 
actually is at stake here. So if it was the, I'm going to try to ask somebody to go to the dance with me. Um, what's at stake? If they say no, then I will go to the dance alone. And if I go to the dance alone, then I won't have any friends because everybody will think I'm a weirdo. And if everybody thinks I'm a weirdo, I'll never find anybody to be with. And if I never find anybody to be with, I'll like never have any partner and I'll sit at home alone and I'll die with like a bunch of cats. Like it's that like thing that we do as humans where we start to spiral into the worst case scenario. And so when we have that for our character by identifying the stakes, it makes us actually urgent and really, really committed <laughs> to what we're doing in that moment. And it might be silly, and you might be like, wow, why does this character think about this stuff? Like, why don't they just, you know, do this rather than freaking out? Um, or why are they so irrational? Well, because humans, we are irrational. And so your job as the actor is to make this seem real and to stop seeming silly and irrational, if that makes sense. Yeah, so with the stakes, are you, list are you listing multiple ones? Because your spiral is going to have multiple things going on. Oh, totally. Yeah, I think you can kind of do the exercise I just did. Like, it's like the reverse if you give a mouse a cookie. Well, it's mm -hmm. not really even the reverse. It's like, um, it is the, it's the, like, catastrophe version of if you give a mouse a cookie. <laughs> so lots of cause and effect, like, lots yeah. of, like, five-year-old, like, why? Is, oh, but my gosh. Really, like, why is this guy, totally. really, like, why, why, why? <laughs> yeah, totally, exactly. And, um, yeah, it really helps you, like, get that sense of urgency and that, like, jittery feeling behind what you're doing. Yeah. So that's just the analytical work that we're doing before the monologue right how does that come out inside the monologue that's a really great question okay so once you have all of that background work done then i highly recommend writing this on your on your monologue like mark your monologue up get a bunch of different like color pens or some highlighters and write all this stuff down because what then this does is it helps you have a base to start with from your monologue. So when you get up on your feet and you start to say it out loud and you have that inevitable like, that line sounds weird, or I sound funny, or this line doesn't make sense when I say it out loud. That helps you then be like, okay, let me go back to my sheet. What does my, like, what is, what's going on here? Am I understanding what's at stake? Am I playing a tactic? Do I have an, am I like working towards the objective with this line or am I just arbitrarily saying it? That's where this starts to come out. Um, I mean, ideally, it also hopefully helps you get over that. Um, it helps you like have things going on in your head so you're not just like critiquing and yourself and telling yourself you're terrible as you're doing your monologue because I think a lot of people do that they're like oh no why did you say that line that way that was terrible or oh wait no you didn't pause long enough this gives us to help you have a brain that you can kind of plug in for your character when you're doing your monologue very cool so how does yeah. this influence movement I know a lot of singers are mm. afraid to well I shouldn't say this but kind of I mean you know they're afraid to move unless directed to move and how does yeah. that look like when you make those choices on your own yeah no that's a really great question um so when when we have 
a very clear objective and we have things that we are doing to create that objective, what we instead are focusing on is the action rather than the physical gesture that's required. So I always say I am not a huge like proponent of like blocking your monologue. Um, I mean, I know there's a difference, like if you're doing a competition um, that requires that you're just, you're just doing a, a competition to showcase your work rather than add an actual audition. In an audition setting with a monologue, I, I don't think that there's any need for you to move a lot. Um, I don't think of like, do I need to move my arms up and down and shrug my shoulders if I'm asking somebody a question? Like, would you do that as a person? Some of us would, some of us wouldn't. So um, by thinking rather about like, how are you going to get what you want? Like if I'm going to start like yelling at a person or interrogating them, I might, I, I wanna get closer in proximity to them. So I'm gonna step closer to them. So if that's my tactic, is I'm gonna interrogate them, I'm gonna step closer automatically. If I am trying to belittle them, then my hand gestures might be like very like, like casually like pushing them away. So if you think about the tactic and that will automatically get your body to start to respond. Does that make sense? Yeah, definitely. It's a much more natural way of going about it. Oh, totally. Because, oh my gosh, I'm, like as a person who sits behind a lot of audition tables, like there's nothing worse than watching like a person come in and be like, I blocked my whole monologue. And then I've also choreographed my entire dance for you. Oh my gosh, no. <laughs> or like my whole song, like they're like dancing through their song. And I'm like, no, just sing and show me that you can be an emote, like that you have like the ability to tell a story. That's what they're really looking for. They're not looking for, do you have the right gestures? Do you have the right facial expressions? It's, can you be a storyteller? That's a much yeah. more comforting way of looking at it. It's yeah. kind of takes the pressure off a little bit. Good. Yeah. I mean, like, think of, like, when you're hanging out with your friends and you're, like, in a, like, you're, like, OMG, this crazy thing happened. And you're telling this, like, wild and crazy story. You're, you're not thinking about, like, if you are, like, moving your hands, right? You are just very into it. And so think about that same energy and your ability to tell stories and enrapture an audience of just your friends just doing that at a grander scale. Right. I love that. So <laughs> awesome. You have so many different options and it's so emotionally driven and like with the spiral you have, you just have a lot of different options. How does this affect a rehearsal and how you can feel prepared mm. and the, like freshness, if you will, Yes. when you present it so that it doesn't <sighs> feel over-rehearsed, but yet you feel comfortable presenting it. Yeah. <laughs> Totally. So this, that's a really great question that a lot I see all the time with like my younger students, especially is they're either taught that theater should always be the exact same every single time you do it. And then that's really stale and boring. And then they suddenly will get another teacher that's like, that's not what theater is at all. It's supposed to like evolve and morph and change in the moment and be responsive. And then they go totally the other direction. And every single time they do it, including in performance, it's different, which is like a nightmare, not only for your scene partner, more, more so for like your stage manager or like your accompanist or anybody else that needs to follow you. So what I, 
Yeah, right. Lighting, like if you're like, I'm gonna go over here, and your light is stage left, and you're walking stage right. Uh, oh, okay. Um, so how you keep it fresh and how this works is your you once you get the idea of this scene that a main idea doesn't change like suddenly you're not going to all of a sudden be like in outer space and you're like in 1950s or you're suddenly not going to like in a scene that's like really happy and jovial all of a sudden you're not going to be like angry and screaming at people so how you keep it fresh is you can kind of change up your tactics a little bit as long as your tactics don't like go to the extreme. So I like to think of tactics in two categories as either charm tactics or threaten tactics. As long as you're not going from like soothing to screaming, right? Like if you want to soothe somebody versus comfort them, those are a little bit different, like very, very small, but that that's okay. Like if, like you're, if you want to like just try some new things, that's always great. But like once a scene is set, you want to be able to, um, you don't want to be playing with extremes any longer. So the tactics are flexible. And yeah. The I, I spiral think, is flexible. Totally. And I would keep though your objective relatively the same and I would keep your obstacle relatively the same. Like I wouldn't go and be like, Oh, and now I've decided that in this scene, my objective is not even rooted in the original person I worked on this scene with. It's on a different person in this scene. Like, work with your director, trust your director um, that they will guide you in the right direction. And know that in order to keep it fresh, it doesn't mean that it has to be different, like drastically different every night. It just means that you are invested and it's like the first time you're exploring the story. So find new things to explore. That's very comforting. Oh, good, good. <laughs> yeah, I think it can be like really hard on a director to like, just come in and show me what you got. And it's like, what? What do you mean? <laughs> so let's say it's audition day. I've done all yeah. of this work. I'm getting ready to go in. Maybe I'm reviewing my analytical assessments. A lot of singers are, you know, we're, we're here, everyone, you know, we learn. We're either hearers, we're feelers. Yes. Feelers and doers or we're seers like and with something that's so like it can change like what is the best like learning mode in order to prepare we're like I'm going into a rehearsal now what should I do to make this the way that it or you know come out the way that I rehearse and it's comfortable and it's fresh. Yeah well I think the number one thing is to not worry which is so silly because it's like whenever it tells you not to worry, like then you like freak out more, right? Right. Um, if you, so how okay. do you distract yourself from Yeah, more? I think you distract yourself by focusing on the, the, the six points. Like if you, especially if you're going into a, an audition room. So the first thing to remember is if you're going into an audition room is that the people behind the desk, they are behind the table. They, they are your biggest fans. They are not your enemies. Like, they are hoping when you step in the room that you are the answer to their to their casting quandary that they are hoping that you are going to be absolutely amazing same thing with the director when you walk into the room for rehearsal they are hoping that what you bring in today is going to be absolutely amazing and fantastic now there are directors out there that really struggle 
to, you know, not be a jerk or to like not have that sense of ego about them. But deep down, even <laughs> they want those same things. So keep that in mind. That's like your number one thing. And then all you can do is focus on getting on these things. So like, what is your objective? What are your tactics? If you're going into an audition, you've already got your scene built. You've got your monologue ready to go. So you just think about those things. And all you can do is the best that you can do given the situation in that moment. So like, sometimes that might mean you've got a giant cold, right? So all I can do is go in and do this monologue (laughs) and this sing this song to the best of my abilities, which may mean I sound like a frog. And that's just what I have right now. Like, I don't have any other options. So, so you have given circumstances too. Yeah, right. You just, <laughs> exactly. Yeah. You're real meta there. <laughs> yeah. So like, there's nothing you can do about it. Um, all you can do is, and I don't like to use all you can do is the best you can do because I feel like that's like a very like putting a lot of pressure on yourself. All you can do is the best that you're able with the, the circumstances that you're given. So keep that in mind. And I guess then you also had said about like rehearsals. How do we go into rehearsals and not freak out? Well, I'd say rehearsals are all about exploring and figuring out what doesn't work in order to find what does. So keeping in like, as you're, so in, what's different in scene work and rehearsal than like in an audition is that you can come in and have an, I, I always say like, come in and have an idea of what your objective is and some tactics that you're working with. Um, I am not a good improviser, so that's how I like calm myself down. <laughs> um, but remember that you're exploring. And so when your director gives you feedback, um, it's not because you're bad or because you're making terrible choices. It's because, oh, we found something that doesn't work, which is cool because now we're one step closer to finding what will work. So like, don't let yourself get into that spiral of I'm terrible. I'm terrible. I'm not getting this right. I'm not getting this right. Guys, I'm sure like Adina Menzel, even she gets director feedback. Okay. If she can get it. Hey, I'd be, honestly, I'd be worried if I didn't get director feedback. Oh my God. I'd be like, what am I doing wrong? Like he's so bad. He's not even telling me anything or she's not even telling me anything. Right. No, for sure. And I think, so sometimes, um, I know there are directors out there that necessarily don't always give a lot of feedback. And I have students that freak out about that too. They're like, my teacher's not giving me any feedback. I don't know what to do. Um, Also keep in mind that they will. Like, if you're doing something wrong, they're going to, like, or not something wrong. If you're, if you're, if we haven't found the right solution yet for the scene, they will tell you. If they don't, just keep doing that. Don't second guess yourself. They, somebody, somebody will tell you. And if that somebody is your director or a production team member that's allowed to give you that feedback, then you should take it. If it's a cast member, meh, no thanks. Right. And I love how you brought up the fact, I mean, it was a while ago, but it's so comforting to know that the people who are judging you, so to speak, (laughs) who are running the audition, like they're on your side because sometimes it can get, it can get so long and so boring. I'm sure for them that they're like sitting in a position that does not look welcoming, like, or they just look intimidated. 
Totally. And like, and, and that's like one of the hardest things I've been really the last like year and a half, like really trying to be conscious of like my energy because it does like after sitting at a table for like four hours, I'm like, Oh, I just, you're so good. And I really want you to be my solution, but I'm also very tired. And I've heard like 40 songs at this point and I'm <laughs> just tired of everything, which is terrible also. But as directors, if there's any directors listening, I think your demeanor is so, so important. And also that we need to remember that there's no reason to be a jerk. Like the whole old misnomer that like, as a director, you have to be mean and you have to be heavily criticizing is actually like really harmful and damaging, especially to young people. So we don't need that. We can be supportive and kids can grow and a show can grow and adults can grow. We don't need to be so like, hard-hitting and old school in the way we approach it. Yeah, definitely. I'm so glad that there are people like you in this industry. It makes it, <laughs> it, makes it just so much, ah, you know? Oh, good, good. <laughs> yeah, no, I think there's a lot of people. It's a matter of finding them, right? <laughs> yes. So speaking of finding people, where can we find you? <laughs> yeah, that's a great question. Awesome. So, um, uh, you can find me, so uh, if you go to www.retheaterco.com, um, you can find out a lot more about Retheater. Um, if, if you're a young artist that's listening, there's an artist tab that'll bring you all the options that we have. 90% um, of our offerings are available online. So we do a lot of private acting coaching online. We have different acting groups that meet online. Um, so you can find out more about us there. But I'm also probably like the best way to get like more constant access and like information is definitely on Instagram. So um, you can follow me on Instagram um, at L-I-N-D-S-A-Y underscore K-U-J-A-W-A-B-A-R-R. We'll put that in the show notes. It's Lindsay Cuyava Bar. Um, <laughs> you can follow me there. I talk about theater all the time. Like we'll show you like inside rehearsals that I'm at and all that fun stuff. Awesome. That sounds so yeah. exciting. And did you have something for the audience? Yes, I do. <laughs> so right now, um, th uh, if you would like a, I am offering a free 30 minute lesson, Whoa. which is pretty cool. So um, we're going to put the, rather than like listing out the whole title, we're going to put that in the show notes for you guys. So, um, yeah, I, but yeah, you, all you need to do, there's, there'll be a link. You just go there, click through, and you just have to sign up for a free 30 minute lesson. There's no like tie in or anything. Just show up. We can talk online. If you are like, if you want to work on a monologue, we've got a monologue. We can totally work on that. If you're like, I have questions about doing college theater in college, or I, any theater related topic you can use that 30 minutes for and i'm happy to help you so that is yeah. so cool and that's for yeah. any any age group any age group yeah if you're an adult that's listening and like maybe your kid is a theater kid and you are like what the heck is this crazy theater world or this crazy music world you didn't come from me came from a sports world I do a lot of parent coaching, so I would love to chat with you for 30 minutes. Um, or if you're doing just community theater and it's like a hobby for you and you're just, you've got questions, come and hang out. Let's, let's figure out the questions. It's open to anybody that wants it. Wow. That is so generous of you because yeah. 
such a, I mean, I've learned so much just from right now, you know, oh, and like so my background is performance. Like yeah. <laughs> as a singer, like we just don't get, I mean, we get acting classes sometimes, but we just sure. don't get, you know, like you said, it's sometimes there's that old school mentality and, right. you know, the park and bark and it's just not, you know, oh, the park and bark. <laughs> it dives. Yeah, no, for sure, though. Yeah, like singing reigns supreme. And, you know, if you can sing, then like that's good enough. You know, right. But you always feel like you could be doing better as a singer. Right. To be, you know, in that character. So yeah. this is so nice. Oh, I'm so glad. I hope it's helpful. And like I said, you can apply like a lot of this to singing. And how do you like bring yes. a musical theater piece specifically? I, I, I don't know much about classical, so I won't even speak to that. But I know if musical theater, you can apply these things definitely to to bring that character alive. And it makes it so much more fun to like yeah. be able to explore the dynamics emotionally too. Yes. Well, thank yeah. you so much for being here today. Thank you and for having me. Yes, definitely.